Making It Personal with Bishop William Johnson on Iowa Catholic Radio and iowacatholicradio.com. Welcome to Making It Personal with Bishop Johnson. I'm Kelly Mesher Collins at the Diocese of Des Moines. Our guest today is Michael Patrick O'Brien. We're visiting about his book, Monastery Mornings, My Unusual Boyhood Among the Saints and Monks. This book tells the story of O'Brien's upbringing and how he's found unlikely family in the company of the Cistercian monks. But before we get to today's interview, let's find out what's on the Bishop's mind. Hey, Kelly. Good to be with you again. And October in Iowa. I think all of us have a little uh, lilt in our step and enjoy the beautiful. uh, beautiful fall. And the farmers obviously finally able to to bring in the harvest. We pray mm-hmm. it's bountiful for them and for those who most need the fruits of their labors as well. It was great to be with the people of Immaculate Conception Parish in St. Mary's <laughs> last weekend, the postponed celebration of their 150th anniversary. Mm, so yes. uh, beautiful liturgy in that right. uh, in that uh, uh, very intimate parish space <laughs> that they have. And of course, very Catholic, the sumptuous uh, feed that uh, followed from it. But just <laughs> to laugh and be present to each other again, the grace that we savor evermore in the wake of the pandemic. And so that was a marvelous thing. And then also uh, an Andrew dinner for uh, our resuming now, uh, the chance Mm. for men who are considering Mm -hmm. the priesthood uh, to be uh, together at table, to hear some priests and share fellowship and some witness uh, from all. And uh, I certainly appreciate that. And those have borne great fruit in the men that now we have 15 seminarians this year uh, in the seminaries, uh, the major seminaries, and also at uh, uh, St. John Vianney Seminary and the University of St. Thomas and Laura's College as well. We think about the fraternity that we experience. I bet any young man who have been with us at the uh, priest workshop a couple of weeks ago at the St. Benedict Center in Schuyler, Nebraska, would have been impressed just how the laughter, the uh, good natured ribbing. But we were really well fed. And I think the people of God in the Diocese of Des Moines and beyond will be edified to know that we were blessed to have Father Peter John Cameron, the former editor of Magnificat, Hmm. come to spend some days with us to reflect on the art and the uh, mystery of preaching and breaking open the word of God for people and its centrality in the mass. I think, uh, you know, he asked us to kind of, what the, what's the grade that we would give preaching in the American church right now? I think a B was probably one of the higher marks that the people had. And so uh, I, I, if we asked people, I don't know what we would hear back in return, but really, I think uh, kept our attention. And that's no easy crowd for three days to really ask us to think about what we're doing there as a, an act of the spirit and as a central act of our priestly ministry that is equal equal to confecting the Eucharist in the words of institution, the person of Jesus as well. And so there was a lot to chew on in what he offered us. I certainly myself uh, found myself stretched by some things and, and challenged to reflect on what I'm about as I spend time in the pulpit that awesome and humbling art that is there. But he, you know, among the things that he shared with us, citing uh, Cardinal Joseph Ratzinger before he became Pope Benedict, that the aim of preaching is to tell man who he is and what he must do to be himself. It is to disclose the truth about himself, what he can base his life on and what he can die for. And so this sentiment that people have, they're looking for something, for an encounter in a way, an encounter of this presence of the mystery, just as the angel, Archangel Gabriel, Mary, the uh, moment of the incarnation, that the word is to be incarnated again and again in the hearts of the listeners, but that we have to open up people, not just by spouting ideas in some way, for when we do that, uh, really beginning to bring together where a synthesis, as Pope Francis will speak of, but a proposal that answers a question that's already rumbling around in our hearts and that 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 proposal is not just going to make suffering go away or anything, but to remind us that God is truly present Mm -hmm. and to pierce that tedium or boredom that, yes, we know people 
will very readily check out during homilies, and sometimes they're quite justified in doing so <laughs> when we are not about this mystery. And apart from anything that we say, it's the fact that the priest, the deacon himself, is a committed believer, that he's discovered this for himself as the central truth of his life, and that that's what's radiating. And yes, there's going to be emotion and passion that is stirred in all of this, and there has to be substantive content that any humor or anything else that we're about is going to engage the mind. And oftentimes on the heels of a joke, uh, Father Peter would say, is the perfect time to lay some deeper theological truth in people because they're ripe then as a seedbed to receive this. So we'll see. Uh, people can verify this for themselves if the priests uh, fur on fire evermore, thanks to the, the gift that Father Peter John Cameron gave us. All right. We're going to take a quick break. Let's make it a personal Bishop Johnson. Support for Iowa Catholic Radio and Catholic Women Now provided in part by Permar Security, providing security solutions for homes and businesses since 1953. Permar Security is a Catholic-owned family business supplying security systems, access control systems, video surveillance, fire alarm systems, and video doorbells. All alarm systems are monitored out of their monitoring center located in the state of Iowa. Permar Security, 515-244-5660, permarsecurity.com. Support for Iowa Catholic Radio and John Leonetti in the morning is provided by Five Sons Naturescapes. Five Sons Naturescapes is a Catholic veteran-owned family company providing premium outdoor landscaping, clean up and restore outdoor living space with retaining walls, privacy fencing, pergolas, paver sidewalks, and patios. Issues with soil settling and water around the foundation and yard? Five Sons Naturescapes can grade and install drainage tile to help. Five Sons Naturescapes online at fivesonsnaturescapes.com. Welcome back. You're listening to Making It Personal with Bishop Johnson. Our guest today is Michael Patrick O'Brien, author of the book Monastery Mornings, My Unusual Boyhood Among the Saints and Monks. This book tells the story of O'Brien's upbringing and how he found unlikely family in the company of the Cistercian monks. Uh, Mr. O'Brien, thank you for being on with us today. And we've never met in person, but I feel through your memoir, Monastery Mornings, that uh, I was able to read uh, very touched. I think we're kind of kindred spirits in so many ways, being less than a year apart age-wise and just the year in which we grew up, the 60s and 70s, uh, so much there that uh, really resonated with me and I think will resonate with many readers, uh, regardless of their age and how you, you weave together so many things, you know, your own personal life narrative, your encounter with with the monastic community in Utah and reflections on in the, the vocation of a Trappist monk and reflections on church and life in general. So very poignant. And there's so much there. Uh, we can only kind of sample it, but I hope it whets people's appetite as well. So uh, you're, uh, you know, kind of that that Irish Catholic uh, uh, <laughs> DNA that you've got, and yet uh, moving from the New England, uh, you know, the, the roots there, uh, transporting you and, and being a, a military brat as well, spanning different continents too. Could you just kind of give us, get us situated with where, how you landed in Utah, but what led up to that? Yes, and thank you, Bishop, for having me on your show. I, I, uh, I, we love our bishop here, Oscar Solis, and and if, if you're uh, a shepherd like he is, then, then the people of Iowa are in good hands. So I thank look, you. Look for forward that. to maybe you know having a chance to sit down with him during the USCCB national meeting in, in, in uh, November. But please continue. But uh, so we were a New England family, uh, Air Force, uh, uh, you know, born all around the world. Uh, literally, ended up at Hill Air Force Base in Utah. 
And unfortunately, in, in the 19, early 1970s, my parents got divorced, which was a fairly traumatic event for the family, as you might imagine. Uh, and my mother, good Irish Catholic girl from Vermont, was uh, looking for islands of stability. And uh, we took a drive one day and happened to stumble upon this, unexpectedly upon this monastery in Huntsville. And we went in and my mother was looking for a book. And she said to one of the brothers, uh, do you know what I'm looking for? And he interrupted her and he said, yes, same as the rest of us, peace. <laughs> and, you know, to, to quote Casablanca, it was the beginning of a beautiful friendship. Uh, uh, from from that point on, uh, 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 with that uh, sort of, we, we sort of stumbled on the place that changed our life, in other words. Hmm. So she was not intent on landing at the monastery that day, but it was just maybe God's providence that led you there in that way. And yes. then, yes, the, the divorce and your relationship with your father, and uh, that was strained, obviously. And your mom, a kind of hard scrabble woman who worked extremely hard, but uh, saw fit to, to continue to, to cultivate this relationship with the monks uh, at Abbey of Our Lady of Holy Trinity, which uh, traces its own bloodlines to Gethsemane in Kentucky. Could you just uh, maybe expose that for us? Yes. In, in in uh, 1947, almost 75 years ago, the uh, you know Gethsemane was overflowing with monks at, right after World War II, and just at the time that Thomas Merton published his famous uh, autobiography, and they needed to find another place to put some of those monks, and they they found a, a ranch in northern Utah, uh, bought the place, and and started a new foundation there in, in the middle of. Latter-day Saint country, and and uh, you know it's good that they did because that's the monastery that we happened to stumble on about uh, 25 years later after they founded it. I mean, and as monasteries go, relatively uh, uh, new in 1947 in the wake of World War II and, and the flourishing of there. And then you make reference, you know, among the saints, my unusual boyhood, not what a, a Catholic uh, looking at that title would automatically think you're referring to when you speak of the saints. Correct. <laughs> yes. And, and uh, although Mother Teresa was here, and that's a story we can share as, as well, but uh, the saints, the Latter-day Saints, the monks were neighbors to... Uh, members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And, uh, uh, you know, one of the most remarkable things I observed, and even in my young young age, was the remarkable friendships that developed between people of two very different religious persuasions. Uh, um, and uh, a, a friendship that I might add last to this day. We were up at the monastery grounds just last weekend uh, for a picnic, and many of the neighbors came by and bought the book and commented about the wonderful friendships they had with the Utah monks. Oh, and that engagement, that interaction. And of course, they had a massive farm and, and doing things, you know, obviously their, their uh, work on the land would resonate with our Iowa and Nebraska listeners here on Iowa Catholic Radio, yes, the Spirit yes. Catholic Radio Network. And for those who yes. are familiar with the New Mallory Abbey just outside Dubuque and uh, near Piasta and Our Lady of Mississippi, the Trappistines as well, that uh, those are images that were coming to mind for me as you're describing this this massive enterprise as well. But uh, you, uh, you were kind of as a boy, uh, an interloper almost, <laughs> they, they, they uh, took a shine to you and uh, seemingly uh, received you as well. And you got to know various individuals and you describe many of them with great fondness and, and yet their, their humanity also shone through very vividly. Uh, yes. They, for some reason, they took me under their wings. I don't know if I was a surrogate son or if they were surrogate fathers, or maybe it was a little bit of both, but they let me follow them around and, you know, pretend like I was helping them on the farm. I don't know that I added much to the efficiency of the operation, but <laughs> uh, I learned a lot. I learned a lot about work. I learned a lot about integrating, you know, your spiritual life with your work life. Uh, 
most importantly, Bishop, you know, I just at that point in time, I was a little lost, didn't have a father. I, I needed father figures to to care about me. And, and, and these men took time from their contemplative life to care about a little boy. Mm -hmm. And meanwhile, in the background, there are these seismic uh, cultural events that uh, are seared in, for many of us in our memories, the assassinations of JFK, RFK, and MLK in the 60s, and, and the kind of social upheaval that's gone. But you hear, you, you know, in, in your own family, obviously, uh, but uh, Vietnam and all that uh, precipitated that for your father, maybe some of the challenges he faced in trying to just simply be a father, but uh, an oasis of peace for you. And like you mentioned there, whether you're working with the chickens or, uh, you know, the honey operation or different uh, manual labor there, you unpack and expose the kind of rhythm of life for the monks. But then you also begin to, to talk about uh, some of the characters that uh, were there, including uh, Brother Goodface. Is that right? Yes. <laughs> yes. Brother Boniface, dear Brother Boniface, uh, a Polish uh, monk who went right from World War II. He was uh, from Brooklyn. He went right from World War II into the gates of Gethsemane, and at age 29, he was still a novice there when they sent him out to Utah, uh, and uh, uh, he spent the rest of his life there, and for uh, a, a good part of it, he was a, a, a mentor of sorts for me. Again, he was the, as you mentioned, uh, in charge of the chicken uh, coop, and uh, he, he was the one who primarily would let me follow him around as he did his work, and every once in a while, he'd have jobs for me in the chicken coop. From time to time, I'd wander off, of course, like 11 or 12 year old boys will do. And one time I did and rather upset the chickens and uh, uh, turned around and Brother Boniface floated into view and, and was sort of a humming, singing uh, a combination. Uh, he, he calmed uh, the chickens down immediately that I had, where I had ruffled the feathers. And I, 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 I call that my own version of St. Francis preaching to the birds, right? It was, it was uh, Brother Bond and the chickens. Yeah. And you and your mother kind of became the couriers for his great acts of charity, you know, kind of behind the scenes, but really a kind of conduit of however the, the enterprise of the chickens uh, was really uh, profitable in a worldly sense so that it could really support charitable endeavors. It, it, it was. Uh, amazingly, as a boy, I would watch him hand uh, uh, envelopes full of cash to my mother, and she would uh, get money orders uh, from banks and send them to priests and nuns in India who were uh, working on water projects and building schools and to lepers in Molokai, Hawaii. And, and uh, you know, I, I, I thought it was interesting as a young man. Uh, of course, 45 years later, I, I realized how significant that is that, you know, a monk... Uh, making money from chickens and selling books and rural northern Utah is, is supporting charitable activities all around the world. Uh, it, it, it's quite a wondrous story if you think about it. Mm -hmm. And so the, the material support that was uh, kind of radiating outward, and then also his, his communications, and we think of the Cistercian Order, you know, one of the things that the, the great movie Integrate Silence uh, with the uh, Carthusians, you know, that uh, they carried out a great uh, correspondence, which wasn't shown on screen, you know, through the internet and other ways as well. But the note that you cite that uh, Brother Boniface had written to a, a woman in particular, his style let your god love you be silent be still alone empty before your god say nothing ask nothing be silent be still let your god look upon you that is all 
God knows, God understands, God loves you with an enormous love. So the bomb of those words must have fallen so well on, on that heart that was received and just to, to be in the presence of, of such a man. Uh, not all was always so tranquil. You kind of make reference. And, and again, this is a, something vivid for me as I think about the explosion post-Vatican II liturgically and other things. The monks did not always compose themselves in, in decorous uh, solemnity. There was also other kind of liturgical phenomenon popping up. Yes, yes. Uh, the abbot uh, liked to have balloons in in church. Uh, 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 what is he this, was a school cool... mass or what's going on? Here? <laughs> yes, exactly. He was this cool California Hollywood priest who who left that parish life and joined the monastery. And he would wear aviator sunglasses and uh, talk about <laughs> balloons in church and Gandhi. And then the next moment, he would be singing traditional Cistercian chant. Uh, it, 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 it was it was quite a quite an amazing combination and a blend, a beautiful blend of, of spiritualities. Yeah. And, and was he the one who even cited the American tractor maker, John Deere? There are no easy solutions, only intelligent choices, or maybe that was yes. in another context. Yes. So. Yes. One of the monks wrote that in, in, in his missile as a meditation. So a little, a little secular <laughs> wisdom uh, injected into oh, the yeah. life. So it speaks to us here for whom the green is, is all no. you know, yeah, very important. I'm sorry, Kelly. Sorry. You grew up with another red. religion, uh, the red religion, right? <laughs> yeah, so. That's right. Farmall. That's farmall. That's, that's tremendous uh, as well. Uh, and and so the Latter-day Saints and, and your mother, you know, her spirituality, obviously steeped in the kind of Catholic culture, the reading that she did, which was kind of uh, something that you uh, imitated her in, you know, not just reading the encyclopedia, but really becoming aware of the, the way in which uh, so many great Catholic authors and, and others are there. But she was also uh, had room for Billy Graham and some of the other spiritualities. Yes. yes, yes, Billy Graham and Oral Roberts. We we combined uh, Bishop uh, Fulton Sheen and and, and Billy Graham uh, often within the same week. It was it was a uh, uh, again a, a very interesting blend of family theology. Mm -hmm. uh, I'd like to turn to something much more sensitive here. As you had moved, I believe, to a new neighbor, your mom, kind of a, a single mom trying to work and provide for you, went to a, a new neighborhood that was a pretty tough place. And as you made your way uh, to uh, one day kind of through a, a kind of a dicier area, you had a really kind of tragic and unfortunate encounter that, that left its mark on you. Yes, I was uh, riding my bike home from baseball practice and... Uh, uh, encountered uh, uh, an individual and uh, uh, unfortunately was sexually assaulted uh, uh, in, a, in an, a parking lot of an abandoned uh, wedding reception hall of all places. Uh, you know, very, very difficult uh, time right as I was uh, finishing eighth grade, about to go into high school. Uh, and, you, and you described that you know, in, in desperation and anguish, just that the, the prayer of the Hail Mary kind of uh, came to mind. You began praying this prayer as this whole uh, horrible thing is unfolding, and it at least had some impact on your assailant. I, I, I did. I, I, you know, desperate. I, I didn't know if, if this was my last day on earth. And, um, you know, good Catholic boy, I immediately started praying the Hail Mary, uh, hoping it wouldn't, in fact, be the hour of my death. Uh, but, uh, remarkably, uh, you know, I was whispering it, but loud enough that I, I'm sure the assailant heard it. And as I started that, he stopped and let me go. Um, you know, I, I don't claim to be a great mystic or, you know, the, uh, the object of, of great miracles, but it was a bit of a personal miracle in my life that, uh, you know, the, the patroness of Holy Trinity Abbey, uh, 
perhaps intervene to uh, save me in that moment. Hmm. Mary, always a mother. And, uh, and so you told your mother, obviously she was uh, horrified. Um, and you were, you know, moved to, uh, speak with a couple of the priests and, uh, could you talk about the reception and the assistance you found from them? Yes. So this was the seventies and, you know, I, I, you know, I, I think if, if it happened today, I would be visiting therapists, but my mother, again, good Irish Catholic woman said, you need to talk to some priests. And she found Two that we knew well are our family friends, one a Paulist priest and another the abbot of all people of the monastery, and uh, said, you should talk with them and they can help you. And, and I did. Uh, I, I talked with both of them at different times, and they offered incredible support and uh, assistance and love, uh, something that I, I couldn't help but reflect on You know, many years later as the church was dealing with its own struggles with the the child abuse scandal. And it was a revelation to me that, um, uh, you know, that I I needed to tell others and remind others that, uh, yes, there were some very unfortunate incidents where Catholic priests uh, did assault children, but there were many, many more incidents, including my own as an example, where priests and nuns and monks uh, saved us, saved those of us who were victims of assault. Uh, and that full story, I think, needs to be told. And that was one of the sort of therapies. I call it spiritual therapy. One of the therapies I went through as I was you know, dealing with the scandal in my own terms was remembering the love and the help I got from Catholic priests and nuns uh, to help me sort of complete the picture uh, as I was uh, analyzing my own relationship with the church in, in the face of the scandal. I was struck by your your vulnerability and sharing this in your memoir and, uh, you know, the pervasiveness of this and obviously in the church and we're coming up on our break. I guess I'd like to just talk about that, that it was, you know, even as you found consolation and healing, you know, this also had its impact on, on your faith. And so maybe we'll come back and talk about your, your, your sense of the church for better or worse. We're going happy to, take, to do that. We're going to take a quick break. You're listening to Making a Personal with Bishop Johnson. Support for Iowa Catholic Radio is provided by the Sarah Vocations Ministry, including the St. Sarah Club of Des Moines and the Sarah Club of Council Bluffs. Sarah is an apostolate of the Worldwide Catholic Church dedicated to fostering and supporting priesthood and religious vocations. Sarans strive to accomplish their mission through prayer, fellowship, and service to the bishop, priests, sisters, and all in religious formation, and in doing so to increase their own holiness. Learn more at joinsarah.org, join S-E-R-R-A.org. Thank you, Sarans, for your support of Iowa Catholic Radio. Support for Iowa Catholic Radio and Catholic Women Now provided in part by Permar Security, providing security solutions for homes and businesses since 1953. Permar Security is a Catholic-owned family business supplying security systems, access control systems, video surveillance, fire alarm systems, and video doorbells. All alarm systems are monitored out of their monitoring center located in the state of Iowa. Permar Security, 515-244-5660, permarsecurity.com. Welcome back. You're listening to Making It Personal with Bishop Johnson. We are back with Michael Patrick O'Brien, author of the book Monastery Mornings. So Kelly and I have reconciled, you know, in terms of allegiances to particular farm implements here, but uh, uh, but the reconciling uh, force of the church, but also that the church can wound as well. And, uh, you know, we think of the beauty of the church. I uh, was fortunate to be in Salt Lake a few years ago, did not get into the Church of the Madeline, the cathedral there. It was July 4th, and they'd already celebrated that day. And then the, I was touched by the great social services that are provided to the homeless people in the area 
as well. So uh, you you have a, a connection with that church, right? Yes, yes. That my wife and I were married there uh, uh, over 30 years ago. And uh, in fact, as we're talking now, I can see the the front of the church from my office window. It, it, it's a beautiful landmark here in Salt Lake City. Well, I'll look for the, the personal tour someday. But uh, yes. you reflect, uh, <laughs> I think, very beautifully. The church is much like the Holy Trinity. It reveres three phases in one. It's an institution, a community of people. It's an institution. It's secondly, a community of people, and thirdly, a servant to those people. And so the institutional face of the church, yes, it can be an agent of social change and things, but it also can wound people. So, you, you know, the, the PTSD, if I could just use that phrase that you experienced from your own sexual abuse, but then to, to see this uh, scarring the face of Christ and, the, and the, the church, did it have an impact on your faith? It, it did have an impact on my faith. And in fact, I, I came close to leaving the church. Uh, because I was so disappointed by the what I call the bad shepherds, people who were in office before you, uh, you know, I, I, you people like you, Bishop Solis, Bishop Niederauer, who I knew well here in Salt Lake, uh, 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 much different uh, figures. But there were some bad actors, and and it was distressing to those of us in the pews. And coincidentally, as I was sort of ruminating on all of those problems and issues, is when I learned that the monastery was closing. And so the two events coincided in my mind. And as I mentioned in the book, I had to sort of go backwards in order to go forward with the church. And writing the book was, as I, I said before, a form of spiritual therapy for me because I, I had this deep love for the church I grew up in. And I had to reconnect with that in order to uh, uh, get past, forgive, understand uh, the church, uh, you know, that was uh, 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 ridden with the scandal. Um, so... Uh, you know, the the book sort of is a, in addition to a memoir and a love letter to some monks, it's a story of, of how, you know, one Catholic man sort of wrestled with these issues and, and came out on the other side. Yeah, you uh, migrated across country to, to Notre Dame right there. The, obviously, the Holy Cross Fathers and Brothers there uh, were another formative community for you as well, but but coming back. And uh, you really unpack the the vows that the Trappists and Trappistines take, you know, in the spirit of St. Bernard and his rule and things. But this uh, fifth and final vow, the conversion of manners that you describe and how yes. a non-monk might apply that. And, of course, you bring in a little philosophy, which warms my philosopher's heart. But can you talk <laughs> about how you've kind of incorporated this as a discipline? position of your own life. Yeah. So, so there's that phrase, right? A monk in the world. And, um, you know, I, I don't live like a monk in the world, but I certainly have connections uh, in the world to the monk life. And, and as such, I had to translate the Trappist vows to uh, my own life. And the, the fifth one, they take conversion of banners uh, on their website. They refer to it as the notion that people can change, that people can grow. <laughs> That's a hopeful uh, note. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> it is a hopeful note, and and and, and in fact, it, it, it's a hopeful note for the scandal that we dealt with in the church, isn't it? That you know that we can we can learn from it and grow from it, and and uh, uh, so you know I, I have found ways to apply each of those uh, Trappist vows. Uh, to uh, moments in my own life, and and the notion that we can grow and change has certainly been one that's most been most important to me. Well, that note of hope, and I think even your the graphic on the cover of Monastery Mornings, my unusual boyhood among the saints and monks. Quite honestly, I quoted one of your lines in my daily mass homily from Joel a week ago, you know, speaking about the darkness and the coming of the day. Darkness pervades all our lives. It's often an unwelcome companion, dreaded from the moment we glimpse one of its many garments, such as poverty, divorce, sexual abuse, and scandal. Name a few. Thankfully, morning shadows night. Light stalls, darkness walks with us too and unfolds us. So thank you very much, Michael uh, uh, O'Brien, uh, for your book and your sharing this morning.
thing, and I heartily encourage people to, to, to find a copy for themselves. Thank you, Bishop, and stay well. This has been another edition of Making It Personal with Bishop Johnson. Thank you to our guests and our listeners on Iowa Catholic Radio and the Spirit Catholic Radio Network. You can hear Making It Personal with Bishop William Johnson every week on Iowa Catholic Radio and iowacatholicradio.com. Support for Iowa Catholic Radio and Making It Personal is provided by Sarah Vocations Ministry. Learn more at joinserra.org.